Broadcasting live from FA International, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm Seamus Connolly. I'm Ricardo Salgado. What's up? What's going down? Everybody, hello. <laughs> Gets longer every week, I swear to God. <laughs> it really does. It really... Someday it'll just be the whole podcast. Yeah, I, well, when he takes over fully, and we'll be dead at the time, it'll be perfect. I'm glad Ricardo is for sure going to outlive us. That's was that not... reassuring, I guess. Oh, he's going to kill us to take over this show. <laughs> All right, should we get into some news? Let's do it. There's not a lot of it. So, no, there's really not, uh, which is kind of nice. You know, obviously, the big news that's going on right now is the election, and hopefully the people listening to this, by the time this comes out, know a lot more than we do, because it is day four of not knowing anything. Yeah, we are just hanging on by just a little thread and a razor-thin margin, so... God, I hope I don't listen back to this and get sad later, but we'll see. <laughs> well, Seamus, we'll see. But let's talk about entertainment news, which Please. is also starting off on a sad note, because Sean Connery has passed at 90 years old. He's always really been a legend in a lot of ways. Uh, he has just put his stamp and signature on like some of the most classic of classics. I mean... And, you know, even just in his work as James Bond, it's it's a pretty big loss, I guess. I mean, I know he's been retired for a long time, but, you know, it's always sad to see somebody that talented in acting go. I mean, there was always hope he was going to come back for Indiana Jones 5, Seamus. <laughs> De-age him? Make it so that he's alive again in the lore? Oh, yeah, I forgot he died. <laughs> yeah, they they just, even like, do a sad picture frame on Indy's desk. In that movie? No, you're only immortal if you don't cross the seal, Ricardo. Exactly. But what if you cross the streams? That's a different... The the Ghostbusters bring Sean Connery back for Indiana Jones 5. In a terrible, in a very poor taste CGI render (laughs) of Ghost Sean Connery, yes. I think even us making these jokes is in pretty poor taste. The lowest key. You know, I think he so was too. 90. <laughs> I also remember very clearly him saying that sometimes slapping your wife is okay. So, I mean. Yeah, not the best. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> left his mark on cinema. We'll say that. That is true. Regardless yeah, man. of his. Dragonheart, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Highlander. Ooh, his Highlander performance. I'm trying to think I of mean, other things he was in. We were talking about The Hunt for Red October before. That's a great movie. Obviously, he's spectacular in The Untouchables. Oh my god, yes. One of my absolute favorite movies. His Scottish Scottish <laughs> accent will be very missed in Which my, in can my do, eyes. can do the best Connery? I'm not even going to attempt that. Oh man, I... Uh... The man just died. I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> it's what? This is celebrating his legacy. Yeah, he makes a he makes a point. His legacy. Shaken, not stirred. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, even though he hadn't acted in a long time, it's a good excuse to talk about all the really good movies he's in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all jokes aside and all... Vaguely problematic past aside, he did do 
a lot of great performances. And I I really probably will go rewatch Highlander again because he is just a wild character in that. No, I was just going to wrap it up by saying it's always you know, sad when someone passes away, but it's good that he got to live like a full life. I mean, going at the age of 90 is a pretty good achievement to celebrate. And go out there, watch no one kidding. of his movies, celebrate his life. All right, coming up next on news, we've finally got a home video release date for Tenet. It will be coming to Blu-ray, 4K, and digital on December 15th. What are you going to do been... about it now, Chris? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, I never was going to break my, my personal theater avoidance for this movie. I'm just really glad I'll get to see it while it's still, you know, relevant, even though... Like you said, Ricardo, Nolan, I'm sure, is just, like, seething that his movie is going to do much better on digital than it ever would have done in the theater. Well, he was trying to defend... Did you guys see this the other day? No. He was really trying to defend the theatrical release. He did an interview where he was, like... people, Like, it almost was Trumpian in that it was, like, everybody's really jealous of our box office. People are amazed at how well our box office was doing. I can't believe more people aren't releasing their movies. Because our box office was so good. Jeez. And I was like, sure, Chris. That's so tone deaf to the, uh, what's it called? The pandemic right now. I heard about that. Hey, well, hey, the votes are almost done being tallied, so we should have a vaccine any day now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm excited to watch this movie. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm excited to watch Tenet. Uh, in the safety of my own home, we'll probably talk about it on the podcast to some degree. I don't know how much how much of an audience there is for a Tenet episode right now. Actually, let us know if you want to tweet at us, leave a comment below if you're watching on YouTube, send us an email at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Let us know if you want us to cover Tenet on the show when it comes out on digital. Let us, let us know if you want an hour of what? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, from the trailer and from Christopher Nolan's past, that sounds exactly what it's going to be like. But hell, it still looks entertaining as hell to me, so I'm ready to be confused for a beautiful two hours. And just as the pandemic giveth movies, the pandemic taketh away. Because Death on the Nile and Free Guy, which were both initially slated to come out in December, have been pulled by Disney for who knows how long. So. Officially, no Disney releases coming out in 2020, and I think the last blockbuster left, Seamus, is, you said Wonder Woman? Yeah, I think that's still slated for Christmas Day, I want to say, December 25th, but a lot of people are saying that that's just, like most release dates right now, that's just placeholder until they can formulate a way to make their money back on this, whether it be, you know... We might see bigger stuff like that just go straight to streaming more regularly if they're just if there's no end in sight, so we'll see. You guys, tell me which one of them, Death on the Nile or Free Guy, which one do you think is more likely to end up on Disney Plus instead of in theaters? What's Free Guy rated again? That's a wonderful question that I will answer in like two seconds. It's gotta be R, right? It's if it's a Grand Theft Auto parody, you can't do that without it being R. Right, it's gotta be. IMDb, why are you letting me down? Death on the Nile is based on a book. It's kind of family-friendly, I think. I mean, it's a murder mystery, but yeah. I mean, everybody has read Agatha Christie in middle school, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Free Guys, PG-13. 
What? Really? I, I would not have guessed that. So, I don't know. I feel like Death on the Nile is probably more of a, oh, it's home. For, we're a home for the holidays, and I'm with my parents who don't like new movies, but they've heard of Agatha Christie, so we're all going to get together on New Year's and watch it. I feel like that's probably the better contender than a movie that I don't even understand the target audience of, which is Free Guy. Yeah, man. I don't. I just don't know about Free Guy in general. It seems like a fun idea, but it also reminds me of... Uh... I know it's like a completely different concept, but Gamer? Do you remember that game or that movie? I do remember Gamer. That movie yeah. was terrible. I hated that movie so much. And it, <laughs> the, Free Guy obviously looks like it's going to be a lot better than that, but... Does it, though? I think so. I mean, I think it's a fun idea. The I like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I don't know. We've talked on the podcast before about how tired I am of the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool... Aw, shucks, look at the camera, look how stupid the thing we're doing in the movie that we're still doing in the movie is. Is that this? Is it? I guess it's as fourth wall breaking as it can be if it's in a video game where they're aware they're video game characters, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're aware that they're in a movie about a video game that has <laughs> video game characters. Now that's a but... movie! <laughs> but in the trailer, they're still doing the whole, like, wink at the camera, yeah. are those guns in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me, and it's guns in the pocket, and it's like, oh, I didn't expect it, I expect, you know, oh, wow, yeah, funny. You're right. Oh, no, it, that's just not for me, that kind of humor. Do you not, you don't like Deadpool, we've talked about this. I think Deadpool 2 is fine. I definitely think that it's better than the first on one. take on Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool 1 is annoying. Deadpool 2 is entertaining. Well... When they fold in Deadpool into Spider-Man 3 for the Spider-Verse, then you'll have to love them all, because they're going to be MCU. Oh, I bet you that's exactly what they'll do, Seamus. Yeah, I think you're actually got, probably like, right about that. the time travel dimension jumping thing at the end of Deadpool 2. Yeah, it'll fit in somewhere. You think Fred Savage will also be there from the Deadpool uh, PG-13 cut? That was weird. Wait, what? The Deadpool PG-13 cut is a parody of The Princess Bride. Where Deadpool oh my is reading the story to Fred Savage as an adult. Yeah, that's hilarious. I forgot about that. Which that's funny. That is the funniest thing about Deadpool to me. <laughs> it's the PG thirteen version framed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because having to work within that construct is a lot more fun than just being dumb and gory. I think. Yeah, that's. That, I think that's pretty. That's pretty clever. All right, but that's all we got for news. So should we move on to our main segment? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited to talk about our main segment. Wonderful. I've got the boys together. No. Jonas. Yeah. To do what? Spank the bastards. Yes. For Robin. And then. Duh, boys. Duh, boys. Duh, boys. Man, what a wild ride. Binging this first season of The Boys in th- this week. Didn't know what I was getting into. Let me tell you guys. Neither did I. I had heard good things, obviously. This got a lot of acclaim right when it came out last year, and I just didn't have time and then kind of forgot about it. But, you know, some people suggested that we do it for the show, and we didn't have anything going on for November, so we thought we might as well, and I'm really glad we did. It's the first time we've covered, like, a whole season of television at once, isn't it? I think so, yeah. It's a good one to start on, if I'm being honest. I think it was just like, you know, like you said, Garrett, a lot of people were raving about it when it first came out, and I kind of fell in the same procrastination thing of like, well, I got a lot of other things I'm watching right now, and I don't really have time to 
add on another one, but man, it's so good. It's so much fun. I like I said, it's surprising as hell about pretty much everything about it. So I don't know. Eight episodes of for is is the second season eight episodes too? Yeah. It is. I think it was just like a perfect way to, to package this this insanity. It's insanity, guys. It's insanity. The writing is really lean, and I'm glad Stranger Things has kind of normalized the eight-episode streaming season because it allows the storytelling to feel fresh and exciting every episode and not have to drag its feet at all. Yeah, that was a big issue because I, th- I remember with like the old Netflix Marvel shows. Like they were all like 13 episodes, and at a certain point, you're just kind of waiting around for the finale to show up. Absolutely. I think the only one that doesn't feel like that is Jessica Jones of the ones that I watched. But Jessica Jones is so damn good that it's it's hard to compare oh, it's it so to others. Good. Yeah, but yeah, it definitely does not have the same problem as the Netflix Marvel shows. It also clearly has a much bigger budget than the Netflix Marvel shows. This show looks really good. Oh, yeah, I think it looks really good for TV, especially because that's always the pitfall of doing superheroes on TV is that you have to make them look like superheroes. You know, I think that the, I mean, I this is based on running graphic novel i assume or a series it, it that i have no familiarity with but yes it exists yeah i i just think that the it's very clearly a take on the justice league between superman wonder woman aquaman the flash and batman yeah i guess batman's in there too <laughs> well let's talk about the overall concept for the uninitiated because it's set in a world where superheroes are real but it's also a very realistic take on that concept because it's all about how superheroes would actually be handled in corporate America, which is they would be privatized, merchandised, and not actually save people. Yeah, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. It's like, what if the Justice League was real, and what if that real Justice League acted like terrible, terrible celebrities to everybody? (laughs) And it's great, because that's... Probably as close to reality as what would happen with superheroes. Absolutely. You you hear all the talk about Zack Snyder's gritty realism or whatever, but no, this is the gritty realism, which is just people are terrible. And when you make them celebrities and give them a bunch of money, they become even more terrible. Yeah, and that that is actually kind of... There, there, there's almost like two main storylines, it feels like, in this, where one of them is like a genuinely good hero gets brought up to the big leagues the seven is the justice league of this universe and she kind of has to struggle with trying to either be a real genuine superhero or to like fall down the dark trap of like becoming the superhero celebrity where they give you like crime itineraries and like are constantly filming making you say that's lit into a camera it's terrible (laughs) i love the idea that the light-powered superheroes catchphrase would be that's lit. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. I just thought that was being, like, corny, terrible TikTok stuff, but that makes a lot more sense. Obviously, everyone's favorite is The Deep. Right, guys? The (laughs) funniest, Uh... weirdest... (laughs) Oh, Lord. Let's let's not go that far. Okay, (laughs) we'll talk about this word spoilers. I will say... The only time that I thought that this show had not exactly stepped over a line, but the only time that I felt like this show 
I was kind of questioning the writing was in the way that the deep is handled in later episodes. And we'll get into that in spoilers because there it's hard to talk about a lot of the plot points in, even in the first few minutes of the first episode without getting yeah, into spoilers. True. So but but yeah, the deep is the Aquaman analog for this universe and he's like I just kept thinking about Entourage when he does the Aquaman movie in Entourage. That is just this version of Aquaman. I didn't get that far into Entourage, but that sounds pretty spot on. I, I you definitely guys watch Entourage? I've watched like the first couple episodes of Entourage like ten years ago. I have a passing familiarity <laughs> with Entourage. I know who Turtle is. <laughs> See, yeah. we're all on the same page. Garrett's Turtle, the world's Jeremy biggest Pinden. Entourage fan. Reddit hashtag Garrett Entourage. <laughs> Hit us up with hashtag Garrett is Turtle for uh, <laughs> our Entourage special next week. Actually, our new podcast name is going to be called Garrett Entourage. <laughs> oh, and we you are guys, your Entourage. Yes. Are the Entourage. Jesus Christ. I don't know enough about Entourage to keep making jokes. <laughs> well, it's all based on Marky Mark Wahlberg, so you can take it from there. See, speaking of Marky Mark Wahlberg and dumb racist guys, the, the deep. deep. Is he racist? Uh, He's probably. terrible. I don't know. I mean, they're all terrible. We've all. Okay, so we've got the deep. Which is the Aquaman analog. Queen Maeve, which is the Wonder Woman character, who, of the characters that have personalities, is probably the least developed. We've got A-Train, which is a hilarious name. A-Train, yeah. Which is is the Flash, but also they dress him like Falcon from the MCU. Yeah, right, with the the goggles and all. Which, I mean, that's how you would dress a person that was super speedy, I guess, but still. Also, in the Seven, we have, like, an Invisible Man character oh, called yeah. Translucent. Translucent. I'm assuming he is not a world leader in the field of optics, but they never explicitly <laughs> say that. Oh, God. And then you've got Black Noir, which is the silent Batman Who type. kills people with knives, though, who isn't, like, a <laughs> just a brutal beatdown guy. He's just a killer who doesn't talk. It, he did anybody else think about Snake Eyes from GI Joe? Yeah, I oh, yeah. was oh, that what definitely. I was thinking of? I was like, there's some like weird tactical mask soldier guy that I that reminds me of him. That must be Snake Eyes. And then finally, rounding out the seven lineup as the episode starts or as the season starts is Homelander, who is the all American Superman type. And then of course. The new uh, in the first episode, the new addition to the Seven's uh, vacancy is Starlight. She's the only one that's not really a direct one-to-one comparison. I think that's very intentional. There's a little bit of Captain Marvel oh, yeah, in there. That's true. There's a little bit of Starfire in there, but uh, she's really good. Erin Moriarty, who I only knew from The Kings of Summer before this, but she's really good in this. I thought they were. I honestly think they were the acting in this show is so good. Just between like the more genuine people like Starlight and uh, Huey, who we haven't really even touched on, to the more just absolutely deranged, like uh, you know our our man Billy Butcher or some of the other uh, main soup characters. Yeah, Huey is our main non-powered character, who is let's say unwillingly thrust. Into the world of superhero, right. I guess it's and one is way kind to put of. It. <laughs> I'm just saying, he's taken the A train to superhero. <laughs> oh god! Oh no! 
And so, yeah, Huey is kind of ushered into this world by the mysterious British Carl Urban played Billy Butcher. Who's just killing it in every scene he's in. He's he's honestly fantastic in this show. I mean, Carl Urban, I think, is somebody that should be a superstar and just isn't for some reason. He's in big movies, but he's not a big name. If that makes any I sense. Mean, I fell in love with him, obviously, from Dread 3D from back whenever that came out. And only that. I think this is the second thing I've ever seen him in. So You haven't, you haven't seen any of the new Star Trek movies? No, James? man. I didn't even know he was in those. No, yeah. He's Bones. He's no Bones kidding. McCoy. Yeah. And then he is also obviously really good in The Born Supremacy as the like kind of nameless, voiceless assassin that's tracking down Bourne oh, in that man. movie. Yeah, I, I had seen that. I didn't realize that was even him. And then he plays a very similar character to that in the movie Red with Bruce Willis. Also, Seamus, you have definitely seen Thor Ragnarok. Oh, am I He'll a big stupid there. dummy? He's got a bunch of stuff? Oh my yeah, god, really that's stuff. Carl Urban? Holy crap! Yes. Oh my god, that that barely looks like him in that. Oh my! Mm-hmm. He's also in Lord of the Rings too, but he's. Oh, I only saw the first one. I don't know if he's in the first one. I've only seen well, them once. We're gonna catch a lot of flack for not <laughs> being up on this, but I think we've talked about that on the show before. I think we're gonna do, we're gonna do them when the Amazon series comes out. Yeah, okay. I keep forgetting that's happening. Me too, actually. But I'm in because I I need an excuse to actually get my fantasy stuff on. So. And we also know that Amazon is producing really good content like oh, Dub Boys. Oh, yeah, God. Well, you're a little Carl Urban fan club over here, Garrett. I'm a big Carl Urban fan. I really, really like him. I mean, for good reason. Like you guys said, he's so good. And especially in this, he's so... It's like he has a humor to him in this like absolutely devastating character he's playing in this that is just... It, it charms me, even though it probably shouldn't. Yeah, it would be really hard to play this character because he's kind of the foil of Homelander in that he is this big, larger-than-life, charming character that he's using that charm to kind of mask the horrors of what exactly it is he's doing. And we'll talk a little bit more about how successful either of those characters are at that in spoilers. Yeah, do we want to get into this? Because like you said, it's hard to really talk details without kind of going into spoilers. So should we give our final thoughts? I think that sounds great. Uh, This is a really good first season that is not for the faint of heart. There is a lot more drama to this show than I thought there would be. Like the character drama is adult and intimate. The violence is pretty gruesome. I honestly don't even know. Do you guys know the last time you saw violence is gruesome in a thing? Uh, this consistently? Like, per episode? No, I don't really remember something that is on this caliber. Because really, even Game of Thrones only has, like, one big moment of gore a season, usually. But this is, almost every episode, there is a lot of blood, a lot of guts, a lot of gore. So it's not for the faint of heart, but... If you have an interest in pop culture in general, and definitely 
in seeing, I think, what is the best meta-analysis of the current superhero landscape, this is definitely worth your time. It was it exceeded my expectations, and I'm really excited to watch season two for next week. Yeah, if you haven't, we're we're coming late to this one, so you've probably already seen the boy season two, and I got this lived up to a lot of the hype, man. This like I started it on a Tuesday. I fend- I didn't really sleep that night. I had to keep going. I had to see what was coming next. I'm fully hooked on this, man. This was great television. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with you both. It's it's impressed the hell out of me. It surprised me in so many ways. I think that with the lack of yearly, you know, annual Marvel stuff right now, if you're looking for that superhero fix and you don't want to touch the Justice League, then please watch this, because it is better than the Justice League. But it's also not really a a standard superhero show in that if you're expecting heroes, I think you're looking at the Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Don't show this to your children, obviously, of course, but like, if you need something good and different, this is where you're going. It's different and beautiful in its disgusting gore. Absolutely. Should we move on to spoilers? So, I mean, let's go kind of chronologically, I guess. I think the first big moment of the series that we probably want to talk about is Huey and Robin. (laughs) Uh, Huey is dating a charming young woman who they do a really good job writing and making you like immediately. And then just plowing a superhero right through her. ripped her hands off. Turned her into a bag mm-hmm. of blood. It you is get to see every moment of it because it's in slow mo. Yeah, God, it's gruesome, and it felt like the um, an homage to the Quicksilver scenes from Days of Future Past and I Apocalypse a little bit. With because obviously A Train, the member of the Seven, who is like the Flash character, is the person who literally runs through and obliterates Robin. Yeah, Jesus. It's pretty it's hard. hard like, we, like you said, they write her in a way where, like, I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really read anything up on how this story starts or goes, but I assumed that she was going to be in here for the long haul, you know? It was going to be kind of like a, she was going to be part of the stakes of why it would be dangerous to go after these superheroes, but she just gets... Like, her just jawbone flies across the street, and her just splattered. Just splattered. It's so gross. Did you guys also have the moments of anxiety right before it happened where you were like, please get on the sidewalk? Please get on the sidewalk? Please get on the sidewalk? I didn't see it coming, though. I mean, I didn't expect a guy (laughs) to run through her. (laughs) That's for sure. But... I mean, it's never good when somebody stops to have a heartfelt conversation in the street. But Garrett, she never wasn't good. even in the street. She was a half step off the curb. <laughs> Poor Huey. Jack Quaid does such a fantastic job. Like, I really feel like his girlfriend died. Yeah, my God. I feel the weight of that on him. Yeah, that guy's a great actor, especially in, like, he portrays a character with pretty severe like anxiety and PTSD from this incident throughout the you know throughout the season and he plays those moments really exceptionally well 
Because, you know, there are a few key moments where he steps up and does very cool stuff, but he feels like a very real character going through a lot of the real things that his character is going through. Also, his dad is Simon Pegg. Also, his dad is, is Simon Pegg with a cursed American accent. Can we talk about that? <laughs> I was going to oh say. Oh, my God. I, like, my stomach, like, American sank. Simon Pegg is not real. <laughs> American Simon Pegg cannot hurt you. But but yet, there he is. And you can still, like, anybody who is a fan is, like, they can hear the little bits and pieces of his actual accent underneath his, Huey. Oh, Huey. Let's watch TV together. <laughs> Very... <laughs> It's very weird. I'm hoping maybe we get some kind of reveal that his dad actually does have Simon Pegg's real accent. <laughs> oh, man. It, there's more crazy reveal stuff about... I mean, honestly, is... with the twists and turns that the show it's, pulls... It's anything is possible. It is really, you know, it's superhero rules. They can pretty much pull anything they need to out of their lore to patch up any crazy stuff that they can that they want to do. I also didn't even realize that is a Star Trek reunion oh, yeah. when Huey's dad and Carl Urban that's finally meet. That's true. I forgot they were both in those movies together. Well, they're really good. That's Those are good movies. I really like those. Well, the first one's good, and the third one's fine. <laughs> the second one's pretty rough, but I enjoy them. All right, man. JJ isn't listening. You don't have to kiss ass right that now. Was, <laughs> that was such a quick bail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just started thinking about... Uh, into darkness, and I was like, well, maybe they're not, I don't love them all, but, you know, the, the first one's really good. Who else do we have to talk about? Oh, Elizabeth Shue, who is so good on this show. Madeline Sitwell. Madeline Stilwell. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. A true corporate villain? Like, what do we, what is the designation? Oh, yeah. She is, like, super intimidating, but also, like, mild-mannered. It, it made me think a little bit about Lex Luthor. Yeah, okay, that's actually pretty good. If Lex Luthor was Superman's, like, publicist. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really charming, but also has no morality at all, it seems. And, I mean, there were actually a couple fake-outs throughout the season where we think that she is kind of the mastermind behind a few big, terrible events, but... Well, the end of the first season, where we see a governor, some kind of state official in his private plane after having met with her and having a bad meeting with her. The first time we see that Homelander is anything but a Superman is him killing that everybody on that plane. And so at the end of the first episode, you kind of assume that she sent him to do that, and only later do you learn that, no, that was all him. Same thing, I think the really successful moment is at the end of the season, when you... So the Vought Corporation, we learn, is actually the reason superheroes exist, and they're using something called Compound V to create these superheroes. And we, the boys, Huey and Carl Urban, Billy Butcher, uncover the fact that there are super terrorists being created for Vought's superheroes to fight. And obviously you assume that Vought itself is behind this. You, It's implied heavily that Stillwell is behind it. And I love the reveal when Homelander tells her that he's the one who has been creating these super terrorists. And we have maybe 15 seconds on her back where we think that she's going to be, finally this is her turning point of like, I can't do this anymore. And she turns around and she's thrilled. Yeah, they, they, that was such a good slow burn moment of just like, it's, it's seeming that he is going to confront her about it and like, 
kind of maybe show that he isn't all the worst thing on the planet, but it's such a great reveal when... Because it's like he's questioning her, like, do you know who could have create who sent this v to these people and then it's like a intense stare that it's like it was me i did it it uh, it got me it genuinely definitely surprised me as a viewer it was also a great twist on the super villain plot it, like the exposition yes dump speech, yeah which i mean it caught me off guard too it was a really successful moment i think the thing that impresses me the most about this show is that everything is rooted in character it's not just trying to do like genre stuff it's actually building and creating compelling characters that make you believe what is actually happening on screen that then they find interesting ways to incorporate the genre stuff that you're more familiar with should we talk about uh homelander's weird relationship with Stillwell. Yes. I mean, Homelander, we know, was raised without parents in a lab, and so has some, um, a bit of an Oedipal complex with Stillwell. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it, and yeah, Politely. a nice way to put it instead of, like, now, even now I'm trying to, like, make it sound nice, too. They are, like, having a weird, illicit sex fling in her office regularly it seems in this show and like the way they treat it is like it's a reward for him doing things for the company almost it's like whenever she's happy or needing him to act you know appropriate to be a representative of the company she kind of i don't want to say seduces him but like kind of keeps him in check through being this weird sugar mommy that like keeps his career going he's also really jealous oh, of yeah. her baby which actually i that actually the baby stuff led me to believe that uh early on i thought he was going to be her son for sure and that it was going to get even weirder with the sex stuff but like <laughs> i thought it was going to be that he was the father of that oh. child that was my you were so that was close be my guess. oh yeah but not exactly. I wasn't expecting it, that. I'm talking about the relationship with him and uh, Stillwell. Like, yeah. that threw me for a <laughs> loop God. because I was just expecting Homelander to be just like evil Superman where he's like calculating or whatever. I was not expecting this whole other aspect of the character to be in there at all. It's like weirdly sexually stunted evil Superman that has like mommy issues and no sense of actual morality. It works. Hell yeah, it really works, well. man. Like, if the, even thinking about jumping a little bit, the airplane stuff, that was, like, oh, chilling. I, my, I was like, Jesus Christ. I had to take yeah, a it's moment. it's so yeah. upsetting. They go to save this hijacked, like, 757 full commercial airliner from these, like, jihadi terrorists who have taken it over, and... You know, it's 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 Homelander and Maeve, and they get there, and they're killing terrorists, and they go, and they're saving the day, and they're doing their big public show, and then Homelander just slices through all of the uh, piloting equipment. All the cockpit is, like, gashed open by his laser eyeballs, and he just casually walks out the back of the plane, you know, telling everybody that they'll be okay so they don't freak out before they crash into the ocean. It's... It was pretty hard. Like, the mom is begging for them to take her daughter, and the one, like, you see it in the distance falling, yeah. the one guy jumps out, and just, like, out of desperation. It's very, very hard to watch, kind of. Yeah, I think for the people that are going in looking for, like, lighthearted Seth, Com Seth Rogen-produced superhero comedy show, that would be a turning point, because that is 
I think the first, I mean, it's not the first moment of extreme violence in the show, but it is the first moment of stomach-turning yeah. evil, I think. Yeah, just him, like, kind of chuckling and being like, oh, what am I going to do, fly under the plane? I'll punch through. Oh, what am I going to do, guide it safely back? I, I can't fly a plane. This is useless. Let's get out of here. Or just like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Until that, until that little speech, I was thinking the whole time to just fly out and pick it up. Yeah, me too. Like away. Superman, you know, oh, like me any too. Superman style. For, he, you know, anyone would at least try, but he's just like super as a matter, like matter of fact, like, oh yeah, we're definitely not gonna take this one little girl with us because she's gonna tell the world that we let everyone else die, so we're gonna let her die too. It's, whoa, mm-hmm. God. And this is gonna, yeah, it's really. This turns into a, a turning point for for Maeve. A little bit. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Which is really the only characterization. I really she did gets think that she was gonna kind of throughout the season. You know, maybe link with Du Bois at some point during this to like turn against the Seven. But well, oh man, yeah, I, week, I can only hope that uh, she and Starlight kind of team up there. Well, let's talk about yeah. Du Bois. We, we haven't talked really about Mother's Milk. We haven't talked about Frenchie, my man, Frenchie. <laughs> oh, Frenchie! How can a character be so? instantly engaging and so complex and interesting but just also be the comic relief guy it's 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 a fine line he dances but man it's so it's such a good character he was like maybe besides butcher my favorite one of the boys well butcher is okay so billy butcher carl urban is on some kind of vague revenge mission against superheroes that he that he recruits Huey 4 after A-Train kills Robin, and he brings back his old partners in crime, Frenchie, who's some kind of, like, explosives But expert. also, like, a chemist and a drug addict? And, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's, he, what he says is, I know a little about a lot of things, which is true. We see that throughout the show. And then Mother's Milk, who has, like, kind of gone straight, he's not any kind of criminal or secret agent anymore, he's running some kind of, like, Troubled yeah, he works camp? at, like, a juvenile detention center to, like, counsel young criminals, I guess. He'll be on, like, the job, staking things out, and he'll be, like, still very tender and loving with his wife over the phone, and the other boys will mm-hmm. kind of make fun of him, but he'll be like, I have a loving wife at home, man. I don't know, I don't know what else you would want, so. I wish there was more of an explanation for his I was going to say, did they ever say that? Because they kind of make a joke about it. Like, yeah, my mother named me Mother's Milk. And then he was like, I don't even really know if you're joking. And I didn't really either at that point. Because they call him, like, people outside of Du Bois Amen. call him Mother's Milk, like, casually. You know, so I don't know. I, for a long time, was wondering if he was going to be a soup. Oh. Like, if he had some kind of weird wait, involving superpower. Milk or... <laughs> God. I don't know, Seamus. There's a lot of milk Do on I? the show. <laughs> Weirdly enough. There's a lot of milk. Homelander, Stillwell, you know, that's all it's, that's all we're all saying. It's all coming together. Oh, God. But I thought um at the end when oh, yes. Kamiko, who is the 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 one girl member of Du Bois. Is that girl a boy a... too? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that too, Ricardo. <laughs> um when so she, it turns out that they unintentionally adopt one of the failed terror, super terrorist experiments that Homelander initiated, and we learn that her name is Kamiko. And at the end, when they're trying to rescue her from the black site, 
Mother's Milk has a moment where he's like, oh, she better be worth it. I'm going to go get her. And I really thought Damn, he was going like, to Hulk cool. out or something. Damn, that would have been pretty cool. But we do get that kind of moment when Starlight comes to oh, save yeah, them. Oh, yeah, true. Like, they save later, Kamiko so. and then are immediately surrounded by guards. Which is true to life. Because, okay, so we, I guess we didn't talk about Huey and Starlight are romantically involved after having an unintentional meet-cute on a park bench. Yeah, this that aspect of everything probably stressed me out the most out of everything in this show. It's just like keeping up the lie of like trying to dismantle and assassinate the Seven, basically, um, while he's trying to like kind of move on from his super dead girlfriend that we vaguely knew. Keep seeing. Oh yeah. Yes, he yeah. It, part of his PTSD is that he's seeing his girlfriend in places, and his PTSD is really well written. And frankly, I think. The reason that you were so uncomfortable, Seamus, is the same reason I was so uncomfortable, which is they make you really invested in their romance and their friendship in general. In a lot of shows, that's kind of, or movies, whatever, that kind of, I'm lying to you, I have this double life, but I also care about you, is really gimmicky and kind of hollow. But this, I think, rings true because both of them are such well-rounded characters that you want to see happy together. Yeah, that's probably it. And I mean, obviously, there's the angle of, like, we as the audience know her experience with the Seven at this point, so we're kind of like, they kind of should be on the same side for a lot of reasons from the get-go, especially considering Starlight's day one Mm -hmm. experience with the Deep in the Seven Tower. Yeah, where she gets um, cornered and sexually exploited by the Deep. Yeah, he pulls a... I'm and that, second in command around here, so you better do what I say or else you'll get kicked out. And and that was the thing that was hard for me about this season was at the end of the season, he becomes this comic relief punchline. And it was just hard for me because I know that the entire point is that the Deep is a loser who has no confidence and that he's just this bad dude that has been made by Vought and can be destroyed by Vought. But it was hard for me to see a guy that did such a horrific thing so casually and clearly has been doing that thing, treated as like, ah, oh, he's the dumb one. Yeah, they did go a very strange direction when they they moved, they like, yeah, they, they, they move him to Ohio him to and just like kind of leave him there to take care of all the crime in Sandusky, Ohio, which there is none, and he does kind of just... Well, I mean, there is that moment where he kind of has the tables turned on him by that woman, which I hated that scene. Let me tell you, (laughs) getting his torso gills just violated by a woman, it really made me very uncomfortable. And I'm glad I'm not the only one that had to turn away from the screen. Definitely. And maybe his moment of, you know, poetic comeuppets, but we don't really get much past that besides like he shaves his chest and head in a very unstable feeling way but after that he's just kind of and that's the last time i'm hoping we see that him he's for the, the season yeah that was weird i'm, I'm hoping he's the main about. villain in season two and then he comes back with a vengeance because that kind of makes sense i kind of want to see him team up with homelander just because i also want to see starlight oh, yeah that would be pretty killer him. i hate to say that i liked the deep in terms of just like everything that he did on screen either made me laugh in terms of like him eating doritos and nervously looking around after being called out 
See, that's kind of what I'm saying, is that they make you enjoy his screen time, which is problematic for me because yeah. he's a sexual predator. And so that's the only kind of iffy problem. That yeah, yeah, that was pretty well, damn funny. That also, he's maybe going oh, yeah, to have sex with? yeah, he's definitely, like, gonna... That, that is strongly yeah. implied. All the jokes about lipstick on a blowhole Just, are yeah. apparently warranted. Man, the deep has got to be the worst subject that's come out of the vault. Oh, right, yeah, especially we, to we make it up Homelander. to the seven. We get an indestructible man. There's weird gill torso dolphin. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's intention. Like that's pretty meta because that's what everybody says about Aquaman. Aquaman is what are you gonna do? And talk to fish? Has a moment with and that lobster in the grocery that, store. <laughs> yeah, the lobster moment. <laughs> See, it's just, that's what's so, it's, all the stuff is so funny, and I just wish that I could feel funny about it, and not I guess it's, weird and gross about all it. All this funny stuff is mainly just, like... Yeah, I think it's funny because it's horrible It's, it's funny stuff. because it's all, but like... It's still kind of funny. Mm-hmm. He is on the receiving end of all of the terrible stuff. You know, he ruins that dolphin, gets sent to Ohio, gets, you know, taken advantage of by a woman trying to get at his gills and then all of it's funny because it's funny and bad for the character that we hate i guess he he gives yeah, me that's evil that is chris evans energy like lucas lee but if he was like even like absolutely disgusting you know and i feel like that also adds to it for me all right the last thing i think we should talk about is butcher and his spiral from charming rogue that we are on board with his revenge mission to oh man that is yeah crossing a line the, the darker end of that like is maybe blowing up a baby with a bomb yeah so that baby's well, dead right the like 100 percent. well are we talking about the soup baby yeah the very Sitwell's end baby. of the season where yeah oh, not the Sitwell's superhero words. laser eyes baby that that baby's okay where, even though that's, no, the, that's the no. same baby i think is it isn't that her baby she was taking him to the pediatrician earlier in the episode where we see the laser oh. eyes baby so i think that that is her baby I getting am so stupid up. that is that makes sense Man. also because of I the laser that. eyes and that is going to really butt heads with homelander for sure since he already hates that baby mhm i don't know i could be wrong about that i could be misreading that but i think that's what the implication is i hope you're right cuz that's actually really a really good piece of i don't know just narratively that feels really good yeah i i'd be into that Mm-hmm. Especially if there's going to be some kind of, I don't know, maybe Homelander's kid at the end there is going to show down with this baby, too, if we're going to go that far. Well, that's the thing. If the baby's alive, because, so, Butcher takes Stillwell hostage in an attempt to get to Homelander, and then Homelander oh, lasers yeah, just her caves eyes her skull out. in with, like, red laser plasma. It's pretty brutal. And then Butcher blows up the bomb that he had strapped to her chest. And so we know that Homelander got Butcher out of the house to safety, but the baby was in the room. So either the baby is a super pa- a superhero and is like good because it's super. Um maybe Homelander saved it, but I do not think yeah, Homelander saved that baby or that baby got blown up by Billy Butcher. They're all really honestly probably viable. We will find out. The dark sh- stuff that they're doing in this show, they're not above blowing up a baby off-screen. Come on. No, I'm sure they not. would be fine I mean, with doing that. They caved in Haley Joel Osment's face on a bathroom oh, sink. Haley Joel Osment got destroyed. <laughs> I felt so bad for Mesmer. Why well, you don't feel that bad? 
I feel bad. Come on. He got his <laughs> life ruined, kind of. I was hoping he would be a bigger member of Du Bois, but... Me too. But he's but a I rat. Think... He got them all burned. <laughs> he did. Well, I think we've run out of time for our boys segment this week. So we're just going to have to talk more next week when we're talking season two. But it's a really good series. I'm really glad we're watching it. And I'm really excited to talk season two with you guys. Me too. Me too. Shout out Juan Carlo Esposito, who made one appearance. But Oh, yeah, because he's the surprise villain of every show we talk about <laughs> exactly. on our podcast. Moff Gideon is in The Boys Confirmed. Is this man ever not evil? Uh, Community? He's, yeah, he's a little about evil to say in his, Community. His episode he's, of Community. He's but he gets redeemed in Community. It's true. Um, uh, do the right thing. He's bugging out and do the right thing. There you go. Boom. I've never seen that movie. It's really good and you should. Topical, except, like, it's 30 years old, but also still topical. Um, all right, let's move on. Today's pop culture reference is the idea of one last job. This is a trope that you'll see a lot, often in heist films or some kind of crime movie, where a character that used to be a criminal, maybe even the most zealous criminal of them all, has settled down, he's got a family, and he's got to be called in for one last job, one last score, so that they can get revenge or make the big bucks or whatever they have to do in that particular thing. You see this in The Boys with Mother's Milk, a character that we were discussing, has huge one last job energy, even though he doesn't explicitly say it. Also, often, the one last job guy dies. Yeah, the one last job usually does not go off without a hitch and or it's the setup for multiple one last jobs. Something along the lines of Ocean's Eleven, I believe, was another, mm-hmm. like, team up, let's do, let's get the band back together for one more, you know, one last job, as it were, and then that kind of spawned a series. Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen, those are, and those Ocean's are the other last jobs. Maybe Ocean's, Ocean's 8, 8 is in there. But is it the, it's not the same crew, though. Did you not see it? Can I spoil the no, end of I did Ocean's not, 8? No, I do want to see Ocean's uh, 8. I don't want you to spoil Ocean's 8. All right. I do want to see okay. it, even though it's been three years <laughs> yeah, or whatever. what are you waiting for? Uh, it's a pretty solid trope, I think, and it can be diverted very successfully. I think, and interestingly, I think Ocean's 11 does a good job, actually, because Carl Reiner's character is super old and brought on, quote-unquote, for one last job. And there's a couple of fake-outs where you think that he's having some kind of medical emergency, but in reality, it's all part of the heist. Oh, man. Which I think that's a really successful diversion of that trope. That's pretty fun. So, yeah, I mean, you'll see it pop up a lot, especially if you're watching crime and heist films. We're actually going to introduce a new segment this week called Pop Quiz. Every week, I'm going to have two categories, which... One of the boys will choose from whichever Seamus or Ricardo is the first to answer the trivia question correctly will get one point. And then the next week, whoever didn't win the previous week's trivia contest will be the one to pick the category. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. All right. Cool. cool. Great. So this week, you're just going to have to deliberate about which category you two want to do together. So this will be an interesting joint. A little bit of teamwork hmm. in this competition. So your categories are Dub Boys, 
or Dumb Mandalorian? Ooh, Ricardo, what what are you thinking? What what do you, what do you want to get schooled on? Hmm. Having just seen the boys, probably that one. I I can right? go for a little boys trivia. I, I can agree with that. Okay. Obviously, we all know about the lead character, Huey Campbell. Of course. But, do you know what famous actors spawned the actor who plays Huey Campbell? Wait, so you're saying that he has, that the actor who plays Huey has famous actor parents in real life? Two famous actor parents in real life. Can you tell me who they are? Oh, man. You know this one? Dennis Quaid? I don't know the other one. I'm going to say Randy Quaid. Dennis. They had, you're saying Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid? <laughs> no, guess. that's my guess separate from yours. One of you is right about the father. So I want you both to give me a guess about who the mother is. And if neither of you guess correctly, then I'll just okay. give a point to who got the father question right. Okay, okay. Michael Shannon in a wig. Michael Shannon in a wig? God. That's the best answer that anyone's going to give, because I have no idea, so... (laughs) I don't know enough about the Quaid family. (laughs) Jack Quaid is the actor's name. His father is Dennis Quaid. So it's Ricardo's point. And his mother is Meg Ryan. What? Really? That's crazy. Wow, this guy... No kidding. That's very cool. So that is the very first point of pop quiz is awarded to Ricardo. Damn it. I got Yay. too cocky just talking smack in the text thread about this segment, and now I'm down one. Next I win week... Seamus' apartment. No. Right? Is, that, is that the winnings? <laughs> Ultimately, we will decide on, like, whoever gets to a 1,000 points first gets a prize. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe there will be, like, an annual thing. Oh, yeah, that's Maybe a good you'll, idea. Maybe you'll get to do something. It'll be like a... We'll figure that out down Yes, the road. yes, we will. All right. So, next week, Seamus, you will get to pick the category. I'm coming back hard, Ricardo. I want you to know that. You're not safe. <laughs> all right, so... All right, so let's move on to our Mandalorian breakdown, shall we? Thoroughly enjoyed our episode of The Mandalorian this morning. It was... Very, very good. I thought it was almost like a bottle episode. Kind of felt like that bit. way. You know, a lot a lot more focus on the ship and these interesting caves that we get to uh, later in the episode. Well, I was glad to see that we were indeed right that this episode would start on Tatooine. Yes, I, I clocked that too, that you, you totally called it on the last one. Started right back on the speeder bike going through the desert. And we get this interesting little kerfuffle with some raiders. Yeah, a bit, of a, a bit of a showdown with some bandits where we get a comically brutal jetpack kill there. I, I mm-hmm. really like that. And and again, we're seeing Baby Yoda witness these horrors. Yeah, uh, they do. Spe- they do give us a little special attention of like noticing that Mando dropped this dude from like two hundred feet in the air. So. I was a little scared that they were going to do a thing like, oh, we got to get rid of the Mando's jetpack. He's too overpowered with his jetpack, so we got to make it a little bit more of a struggle. And then I kind of understood, but then I was very happy to see it return to him. Me too. Me too. And Amy Sedaris has a new 
job for him. She's connecting him with a character who's carrying the last of her kind, these eggs that need to be fertilized, and she knows there are Mandalorians on the planet that she's trying to get to. Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Mandible, who sets up this deal. Cool ant alien <laughs> whose friends mm-hmm. playing cards with uh, Amy Sedaris. We're playing Sabacc, which, you know, you love Oh, yeah, see. they were playing Sabacc. She's got the Idiot's Array, which I believe is the hand that Han won Han uses the Falcon to win. With. Yeah, exactly. We see more presence of the New Republic in this episode, and I really appreciated that, because we, we get sprinkles of that in the first season, but... You know, I like to see that there has been kind of a major transition between the Empire-ruled galaxy that we know of the original trilogy and get a little bit more of, you know, official military uh, republic instead of, like, rebellion in the breaking down ships and stuff. When those S-foils go into attack position, Seamus? Oh, man, I knew it was on. That, that, made, me, that made me smile real big. Yeah, it was it was a good episode. I liked I agree that I really liked seeing the New Republic in this kind of bureaucratic light. Like now we actually have to see them govern, you know. Yeah. Even though these two X-wing pilots that we get to interact with do kind of bend the rules a little bit ultimately in favor of Mando because of the good that he has been doing in the in the galaxy as of the first season. And it was really nice to see Mando's good deeds come back to him in some way. I thought that was really nice. Especially him trying to spare... I believe they're talking about Matt Lanter's life. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. The one, the lone guard on the prison. So that was really cool to see. But we spend the bulk of the episode essentially shipwrecked on this ice planet after trying to evade the New Republic X-Wings. And... You know, there's some creepy, crawly spider monsters in the cave, which are actually from Star Wars Rebels. Those are known as Kricknas. Oh. And they are a really big part of that series. No kidding. I, uh, God, I really got to get on Rebels. I'm a huge Clone Wars fan, and Rebels I kind of dropped off on before it ended, but that's cool. I thought that was just more of a more cool original um, creature design for this show, but I'm glad, you know, I'm... I'm never upset when they fold in interesting, more subtle stuff like that into the live-action stuff from the from the cartoons. And then the one thing that was a little troubling to me that I feel like could have more consequences down the road is the fact that Baby Yoda keeps trying to eat the eggs of this creature. Correction, he keeps successfully eating the eggs of this creature. <laughs> And on the one hand, you're like, oh, it's a kid, and we know he eats frogs and whatever, so he's just trying to eat. But also, it's showing that he does have this disregard for other life, potentially, that the violence that Mando is exposing him to is making him a little bit more callous and a little bit more apathetic about what's going on. Yeah, I have a feeling we are going to get an episode soon where... Mando is going to like actively scold and yell at Baby Yoda and it's going to really it's going to really rock the fan base to see Baby Yoda getting yelled at by such an interesting and cool character that we love but I think he's going to need some tough love so he stops eating babies like that's Oops. not a cool thing to do 
Seamus, I was yelling at Baby Yoda this yeah, episode. Right? I was going, no, I mean, Baby Yoda, you stop that. You know you're not supposed to be doing that. Like, this frog alien woman is like, this is the last of my brood. My family will die if I do not get these back to where they need to be on the system where we survive. And then he's just, like, popping them like Oreos all, all episode. <laughs> I was really expecting her to notice that the count had gone down. Right? Me too. You would think if these were the last of your species, like, I know there's a few dozen in there, but you'd think you'd have a pretty good, you know, yeah. estimation of how many are in there. After they're knocked out in a ship crash, and he's just squatting in the lower part of the ship, eating God knows how many of those things while they're both passed out, I mean, he'd had to like, get through a couple. It's like sneaking your Halloween candy that you're not supposed to be eating exactly. when you're a kid. But yeah, good episode. Um, the ship is in really rough shape. Yeah, I I genuinely thought we were going to lose the Razor Crest this episode. I thought it was going to be, you know, similar to how I thought the jetpack was going to go of like, oh, it's super convenient for this character to have this kind of equipment. It makes a lot of stuff easy. Now, I guess it's not so easy. They can't leave the cockpit, I believe. Everything Mm -mm. in the ship is like not pressurized except for the cockpit. When all those spiders were coming in, man, I was like, how are they going to get out of this? It was, oh, yeah. I, my skin was crawling. For real, just like uh, all the blaster bolts, they're firing through that little slit in the door and they're like piling up like the zombies in World War Z just trying to skitter through. It was very, very gross. I kind of thought that he was going to end up carbon freezing some of them. Oh, that would have been cool. But I mean, he did not have time for anything. Oh, no. At the very beginning, I kept screaming, use your flamethrower, use your flamethrower, until he finally did. Thank God. Oh, yeah. I, Yeah, at that moment, I did think that's when they were going to have to abandon ship, pretty much. But I'm glad they're going to a, a city now. They're going to get patched up. They got the... He kind of got ditched by those New Republic guys. He was like, hey, uh, how about I don't even collect the bounties and you just help me survive here? And they're like, meh. We'll see you around, buddy, and they just take off. Yeah, I love the fact that they're like, we won't arrest you, but we won't help you either. Yeah, we're just going to leave you here to die. Update your ping tracker. Yeah, it was all very interesting, this episode. It did feel a little bit filler, but I was entertained the whole time, so I don't mind. Yeah, I think the way that they're going to deal with some of these fillerier episodes, like, we kind of saw it happening between episodes one and two, and I can only assume... We're going to see it between episodes two and three of, like, episode one ended with him on Tatooine on the speeder bike. That's exactly where we picked up episode two. I can only assume they're going to be more linked on the ends of each episode more to, I guess, make these more fillery episodes feel more important. I assume this frog woman and her husband that we have not met yet are going to be a lot more important in this third episode coming up, and, uh... Because, you know, there were a couple of those episodes in season one where it just kind of opens up in space and they're just flying to a planet that we're not really sure why or how or, you know, it's it's a little bit of a disconnect. But here I'm seeing they're, they're a bit more stitched together. It's domino storytelling. Yeah, and I, I don't mind that. It's going to, like I said, it's going to make these spider episode types feel a little bit more integrated into the more important stuff. And it, yeah, and it's not like there aren't huge consequences for what happened in this episode. Oh, yeah. Between the ship and the baby Yoda eating the eggs, which might come up again when they get to the planet where those eggs are really important. So, 
We'll see. I kept thinking, I really hope that doesn't, like, try to chestburster him, the one he ate, the, <laughs> the egg, uh, the spider egg he ate. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing of, like, I hope Baby Yoda isn't, like, giving birth to <laughs> frog aliens at some point later, but that's not how eating eggs works. Well, we don't know. Star Wars is weird. Star Wars is weird. We don't know anything about Yoda species. Maybe he's a Kirby and he'll transform into a frog <laughs> oh, creature. Oh, God. He'll have a long, stretchy tongue. That they only utilized that once in this cool. episode. Yeah, she gets her clothes back on. Oh, man. I mean, what was she going to do? Stretchy tongue, eat a spider? Yeah, well, fair enough. Grab her egg barrel. That's true. That would have been cool. I felt really bad for her, just in general. Like, it made me sad. Yeah, that frog lady gets a... She has a bad time. You know, her eggs are getting eaten. She's on the run, super upset about everything. She can't get into the planet she needs to without getting smuggled in, pretty much. She has that really cool moment where she finds the wreckage of Zero from the Prison Break episode last season. And totally activates the voice modulator so she can speak with Mando. I I thought that was really cool, too. And it it showed me a lot about that character, because I think it feels a little bit like an escort mission at the beginning, where you're like, oh, there's this thing, and she can't talk, and she's helpless. But no, she's super smart and capable, and just because she can't communicate with Mando doesn't mean that... She doesn't have her own agency and her own, you know, strength. I hope she doesn't get killed next episode. Yeah, fingers crossed, dude. Any, but anybody's up to die at this point in this show, so we'll see. Those eggs are not safe. I really thought the spiders were going to get her and that we were going to have some kind of... Double baby escort got... mission? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That would have been, been too much baby escort, but I could have seen where that conflict could come in and make some cool stuff. We'll see, though. I mean, we still haven't gotten to off the planet that we're on, so she's uh, still on the chopping block as of now. That's true. Very true. We'll have to see next week. All right, should we move on to Save the Rec Center? Let's do it. Great. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you some rec amendations. Who wants to go first? I can go first. I got mine ready to go. Hit us, Seamus. So, just recently, I actually don't remember how recently, but in the last couple weeks, there was the release of the new Gorillaz album, The Song Machine Volume 1. And they've been dropping these uh, singles uh, for a couple months now. For most of the year, every couple months, they would release a single under the title of The Song Machine, and they just released a big collection and... My God, it is a tight album. It is very cool. Very, you know, it feels like a Gorillaz album. I know sometimes they come out with stuff and people don't feel the same vibe as the the classic mashy, uppy Gorillaz, but this totally does it. It's got, you know, Beck does a feature, Elton John does a feature. It's very, it's very cool, and I definitely recommend it. I'll have to check that out. So what is Song Machine? Is it, that's just the name of the album? Because like you said, I know they've been doing stuff with that name. Yeah, they've been releasing they've been while. releasing these singles under, like they they just kept saying the Song Machine uh, presents, and then they would drop a single, and people were just thinking that they might be doing this as a lead up to um, a TV show announcement or a movie announcement or something bigger like that. But they actually are just continuing to release new music, and they're actually continuing. Uh, even though they already released Volume 1, they're 
uh, working on Volume 2 already, and they're going to be dropping that actually as uh, sooner than people probably think. They haven't re- announced a release for that yet, but uh, it's coming soon, apparently. Ricardo, you got your rec center? Yeah, boy. Right, so my rec's going to be a new addition to Disney+, Plus, The Owl House. It just dropped on there, I think, last week, and it's a, it's an animated series that just wrapped up its first season. Highly recommended to anyone that's looking to fill that gravity sized gravity falls sized hole in their heart. It's from a uh, creator Dana Terrace, uh, Alex Hirsch's girlfriend. It's about uh, this kid gets taken away into this other dimension full of magic and monsters. It leads more on the the horror side of fantasy rather than you know your typical tropes. A lot of the series is dedicated to lampooning those tropes. It's a lot of fun. It's got charming characters, a good overarching story. Check it out. Right on. That sounds cool. Very nice. I've heard really good things. Yeah, me too, actually. Real quick, not really a spoiler, but it is history-making, because it's Disney's first ever uh, bi-protagonist. Oh, wow. No kidding. All right. Very nice. Garrett, are you ready to go with your rec center? Yes, I guess that just leaves me. I know we've all been... uh, watching our fair share of new series in this quarantine bubble that we're all in. And uh, my girlfriend and I just started. I had already watched it, but she's watching it for the first time. Shit's Creek, the entire series, is now on Netflix. It just completely swept the Emmys, which we mentioned a couple weeks ago. It's really a fantastic series. Some of the best character comedy writing I've seen in ages. It's really funny. Eugene Levy, his son Dan Levy... The two of them co-created it, plus frequent collaborator Catherine O'Hara and newcomer who I hadn't seen before, Annie Murphy, as the fourth member of their little family who are a billionaire family whose entire savings get stolen by their business manager and they have to live in the one asset that they have left, which is a podunk little town in the middle of nowhere in Canada called Schitt's Creek. It's really, really funny. I yeah, I've heard nothing, also nothing but great things about this one. My my family in Chicago has been recently watching it, and I they've just been, you know, they rave about it and how funny it is, so I know I gotta check that one out. It, that's on Netflix, right? It is on Netflix, yes. All of it, nice, the entire series. Nice. Alright, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the podcast, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Or send us an email at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. If you're watching slash listening to this on YouTube or any other podcast site, go ahead and leave a like. Please subscribe to us. It helps out the podcast a lot. Also, if you're interested in a more visually compelling Mandalorian breakdown every week, we'll be posting those to YouTube separately with some more visual stylings, accompaniment, and comedy in a shorter, more digestible chunk if you're interested in watching more Mandalorian content. Those are all posted exclusively on our YouTube channel, along with our Season 1 Pop Culture Recap. So, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. See you later, everybody. Bye-bye.